Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the Rutterflex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. On today's episode of the Writerflex podcast, we have guest Fred Schonenberg. He's the founder and CEO at Venture Fuel. They help global corporations avoid disruption by partnering with startups and breakthrough technologies. Fred Schonenberg on the Writerflex podcast. How you doing, Fred? I'm doing great, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you being here. I'm excited to hear about Venture Fuel, but before we uh, get into that, let's 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 talk personal. I want let's let's have the listeners learn a little bit about you. Are you in New York today, by the way? Yep, we're in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, New York. Okay. And you're from the East Coast, I think. Did you grow up in New York or Connecticut or what what's the story? Give us the give us the Fred overview. Yeah, I was uh, I was born uh, in Manhattan on the Upper East Side. Uh, lived there till I was uh, in between nine and ten, and then moved to Birmingham, Alabama. What? Whoa! A whole different culture place. shock moment. <laughs> uh, wow! You did your one of your parents get a job there or something? Yeah, my mom got remarried, uh, and my stepfather was from there, so we moved. We moved down to Birmingham. Uh, they, they bribed me. They, they promised me a dog, which you can't, it was hard to have in New York City. Uh, so for, for the price of a dog, I agreed to, uh, to make the move down south. And uh, wow. my parents still live there. Uh, I, I love Birmingham. Um, I left uh, when I was uh, going off to college, went to school in Connecticut, uh, and moved straight back to Manhattan um, after that. So I, right. I've been, most of my life has been New York City uh, based, but I had my, my Birmingham stint there and uh, certainly love it and, and go down and visit quite frequently. So are you a Bama guy? Are you, did yeah. You go- yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a story you'll love. Uh, so I, I, I went down the first weekend. I remember I'm nine, nine and 10 years old, right in between. Right. right. Uh, and my mom takes us to, uh, to church and she, of course, walking out and there's the priest. Right. And we walk out and then, uh, he goes, so uh, who's your team to me? And I said, oh, the Yankees. And he, he shakes his head. He goes, no, 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 no. Who's your football team? <laughs> and I go, well, kind of the Giants, but I like the Cowboys a little bit. And he goes, your college football team. <laughs> and, and I said, oh, well, I like Michigan because of the Wolverines. I think that's a cool animal. <laughs> and the priest turned his back on me and walked away. Like left the line, like abandoned me, right? And I turned to my mom, like, what did I do wrong? And my stepfather turned to me. And he went to Alabama um, law school and, and, and undergrad. Uh, and he turned to me and said, listen, there's, there's only two answers to who's your team and only one right answer. And it's <laughs> Alabama. Uh, so at, at that moment, I knew it was Alabama or Auburn. And if right. I was going to be happy in my house, Alabama was the, uh, the choice. It is a, for people that have never been down south or lived there. They just don't understand. It is a big deal it is a huge deal you know it's interesting I, so so you went to high school in Al- alabama your your accent is um i would call i would call it uh neutral or, or or somewhere in the middle right it's very good you can 
it's been all mixed together now. And you, yeah. it's hard. If, if I'm just chatting with you, I would be like, mm, man, where's he from? I can't tell. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think I had like a, a New York City accent when I went down there. Uh, and then they, they canceled each other out. Uh, it's yeah. very funny. My, my little sister, who I'm very tight with, she can dial up the Southern accent. Oh, she, uh, she spent more time down there, but she's, she sounds very neutral too. Uh, she lives in New York also now. Uh, but when she gotcha. needs to be the Southern belle, she can turn <laughs> it on. I, I can't quite do it. I'm, I'm stuck in the middle, but she, gotcha. can, she can make it happen. How did you, how did you saw, did, decide to go to Trinity in Hartford? What, what, uh, how, you know, what led you to that decision? Yeah, I was, I was very uh, obsessed with basketball um, and, and baseball too. And, and I really wanted a school where I could, uh, that had a great basketball program and I could play basketball and baseball. Um, I see. And I knew I wanted to go in the Northeast just because that's where I was from. So I, my mind was sort of looking at those types of schools. Mm -hmm. uh, and Trinity had a really good uh, basketball team, uh, which I ended up playing for. I went All four campus. years? Four-year starter? I know. Nope, nope. Played, played two years. We made it to the final four, which was great. Uh, my position had some of, while I was there, had some of the all-time leading scorers in school history. But still. Uh, so I, I got to play a little, which was fun. Um, I got hurt, um, which, which made me even slower than I already am. Uh, so that, that, was, that was rough on the, the ego and basketball career. But it, it was kind of cool. You know, I, I had some friends who have kids going to school now trying to figure out where to go. And, and I really just walked on campus and had this sort of feeling that it was, it was right. Uh, and I turned to my, my, my parents and I said, listen, I like it here. Like, I don't need to apply anywhere else. And cool. they thought I was nuts. Really? They were like, you, you should look at other schools. You should put in all this other stuff. And I was like, nah, this is, this is where I want to go. And, uh, you know, my, some of my best friends in the world were made there. It was a great yep. experience. Yeah, good time, I bet, huh? Yeah, lots of good times. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Very good. And did you know, so you knew you wanted to play sports. Did you have any idea what you, you did you know what you wanted to do for a living? Any idea at all? <laughs> no, I, I really, uh, interesting back to the, the basketball part. When, when I stopped playing, it was a real, uh, turning point in my life because up until that point, my entire identity was sports. Yeah. I was the, the athlete, right. Uh, yep. and yep. everything was made up in that. And I had this moment, it really only lasted about two weeks, but I was just lost. I had no idea. Like that's every, every ounce of energy had been put into sports, baseball or basketball. And, uh, I wrote, uh, for the school paper in high school. I thought okay. that was really fun. And, and so I went and became uh, a sports writer. Uh, so cool. I was like, Hey, I can do sports. I'm a pretty good writer. Let me try that. I ended up loving it. I became a sports editor, uh, and, and really focused my attention on writing. So my, my thoughts on career were either to be a writer uh, or I was going to be a lawyer. Okay. And that was solely because my parents were lawyers. And I was All like, right. that seems cool. They're nice people. Oh, oh, both of your parents were lawyers. Okay. All of them. Stepfather, mom, dad, uncles. Like it, there's a lot of lawyers in the house. You don't win a wow. lot of arguments. <laughs> yeah, everybody wants to debate everything all the time. Yeah, uh, it's pretty good. Okay, gotcha. Well, you, well, so you were kind of following your early passion there for sports at first, and all right. So walk it, yeah, walk us through uh, just a little bit of your career, and then how that eventually, you know, transitioned to venture fuel. Go ahead. Yeah, I, uh, you know, when I was graduating, I had no idea. I, again, sort of in between coming a writer or going to law school. I was studying for the LSATs. My stepfather came up, asked me what I was doing. I said, studying for the LSATs. He goes, you shouldn't be a lawyer. He's like, you should be a client. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you don't really 
like some of the like really nuanced detail part that that is what lawyering actually is the practice uh -huh. of it rather than right. the sort of i'll call it philosophy of law which yeah. i still love the philosophy of law constitutional law i think it's the most interesting thing in the world but the the dot in the i's and crossing the t's and all the things that a lawyer really does every day uh he was very right in assessing i would not have a lot of patience for that okay uh, so i started thinking eh, I don't know. And at that moment, I had a friend, a uh, friend of my college roommate who had a clothing company, a uh, basketball clothing company, and wanted to write a biography on the, uh, basically the guy the clothing company was named after. So okay. he hired me to, to ghostwrite uh, a biography. Uh, and not even ghostwrite, I was going to write it. Uh, so I moved up to New York, lived in this guy's parents' basement, uh, and, and started researching a book. Uh, and, and it was great fun. I got to interview all sorts of NBA superstars. Really? Cool. Yeah. And, uh, it ended up for a variety of reasons we don't need to go into here, uh, not getting published. Oh, bummer. Uh, which was just a long, long, long story, uh, that nobody would care about. Did you get paid? Did you get paid? No. Oh, so I, so I woke up, you know, <laughs> six months out of college, no job, uh, no cash in New York city. Uh, right outside of it at the time, living uh, in the basement I, of your living in the basement of your your parents or your friend's parents' house. <laughs> you got it. So not exactly the uh, the dream, right? That I was hoping for. Uh, I was still playing hoops very frequently. I had a pickup game in the middle of the day uh, at a YMCA, and this guy we were in between games, sitting there, an older guy, and he goes, uh, he goes, "What do you do again?" And I told him a little bit of the story I just told you, and he's like if you can write, like I have this uh, corrugated box, like brown cardboard boxes, like you see your Amazon boxes. He owned a box company and he goes, why don't, can you come help me copyright? For what? So what was he, for what, for like marketing or? Yeah, marketing, all their, all their marketing materials, their brochures. Uh, they were starting to put up a website. He was like, you know, if you can write, like it's not a glamorous job, but just come help us write our stuff. All right. I'll give you, I'll give you a couple bucks. Right. And I was like, sweet. I needed beer money. Uh, and, and yeah. so I, I agreed. He ended up having a uh, sales guy not show up one day and he asked me if I could go on the sales call. He's like, you Are just you... wrote all this stuff. You know, it, can you just go, uh, you know, nothing's going to happen of it. Uh, but give it a shot. And I was like, okay, I've got nothing to do. He's going to pay me. Um, so I went out It was Godiva chocolate was the, the client. Uh, I went in, I told them right as I walked in the door that I had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> but I knew the company and I could tell them quite honestly what the advantages were of it. Cause I just wrote all their copy. And you were and selling they, them pa packaging or boxes for the chocolates yep. or whatever. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Like basically just boxes to ship Godiva chocolates to all their different stores and retailers. Uh, person totally jammed on my honesty and the fact that I, uh, I was pretty naive, but like really, really transparent. And uh, she goes, you'll like this part of the story. She goes, great, I'll fax you the contract. So now you know how old it was. Their fax happened. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Your very first sales call, you closed the deal. Wow. Yeah. And I came, came back to the office and I was like, yeah, hey man, like she's going to fax over the contract. So cool, I got to go. And he was like, wait, what? Uh, <laughs> so it was... Uh, I, I've since realized how hard it is to close deals. Right, exactly. For all of the salespeople listening to this episode right now, they're all saying, okay, yeah, that's not how it usually goes. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it doesn't usually go that way. So I ended up, uh, he, he asked me if I'd like, 
uh, to do sales. And I said, no, nah, I'm not a sales guy. And then he showed me the commission check. And I said, yeah, I'm the sales guy. Let's go. I like this. <laughs> wow. All of a sudden you're in sales. Boom. Just and like now, that. Now I'm in the box company um, doing sales and it was a small kind of family run company. Still, still okay. going really strong today. Oh, really? Um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's out in New Jersey, actually. It's called Next, Next Press Packaging. Uh, All right. That's the name of it. And uh, basically I had the idea. This is right as the, the internet started blossoming and i said hey you guys should should put this online this you could create a platform where you provide boxes for these businesses and create like a marketplace where you know godiva could come on and say hey these are the size of boxes i need and you could bid bid for that business and cut out all the the faxes and all the middleman stuff uh they didn't really you know that wasn't where they wanted to take the business so respectfully i was like i'm gonna go start it and they said, great, go for it. That's where the entrepreneur. Okay. So, so right there is the first sign of the entrepreneurial spirit, but now, but nobody in your family was an entrepreneur, right? I mean, you, you were you the first person to say, I'm going to start my, well, I guess having your own legal practice, I guess is kind of like being an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll go quick. I'll give you two quick stories. So my okay. mom, when we moved down to Alabama, uh, she was a lawyer in New York at a big firm. Okay. Uh, at that time, Alabama was not particularly welcoming to female lawyers. Uh, and so they, they essentially said, you can be a paralegal. And she was like, I went to Columbia, you know, Barnard, like I worked at a big New York City firm, like I'm actually more qualified uh, than the people interviewing me. Uh, yeah. And she, she kind of banged her head against that wall for a minute. And then she goes, you know what, I'm gonna start my own I see. Uh, firm. So okay. I got to see like that, at, like I was at her, her wing, right? So mm-hmm. I saw her not get what she wanted, go out, create her own thing, really grind. Like she would, she had a network, she did all this stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I got to watch that as a, you know, impressionable okay. boy. So I, I would say, actually, I would credit her with gotcha. putting that entrepreneurial bug in my ear. Gotcha. Um, okay. But Good. she, if she was on this call, would make me tell this story that even when I was a little kid in New York City, I would invite friends over to play and I would charge them to play with certain toys <laughs> they wanted snacks unbeknownst to my mom and that's so good that's pretty my mom good said to me, she goes how are we going through 30 chip witches every week <laughs> and i was a big kid i was a little overweight so she thought maybe i was eating 30 of them uh and it was i was selling them to the other kids when they came over and i had a stash of cash uh, uh on the side so she explained to me that's not exactly the way to make what friends are- 100% margins because you weren't paying anything for the inventory. <laughs> Still to this day, the best business I ever ran. I, I didn't have to do any supply chain, no logistics, uh, pure so cash. That's, so, that's great. Okay, cool. So there was a little entrepreneurial stuff in there. Okay, very good. So when you presented them with that idea, you're like, I, I'm going to start my own thing. Okay, walk us through how you went about that. Go for it. I'm, I can't wait. Yeah, uh, I will say I learned a lot since then. Um, but I honestly was like, oh, I have a great idea. Everyone's going to come to me. <laughs> and that was, that was honestly my, my plan. Uh, I did write a, like a ridiculous, like 75 page business plan. Oh, that, really? Oh my gosh. It was some software that I bought uh, that helps you write a business plan. And I spent months writing this. It was beautiful. Like 
people nobody give you money if they read no, it. Nobody read it, that. <laughs> uh, nobody read it. And it also like was total BS, like three months in the whole thing, you could throw it out the window. So, uh, <laughs> but I was very serious about it. I, I really, I really thought out how to do this, but I was very surprised the business didn't, like as soon as I put up the website, money didn't start coming in. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I started to figure that stuff out. I read a book on guerrilla, uh, Guerrilla marketing, which I'll, I'll have to find the link and send it to you afterwards. Okay. I think it's called okay. Guerrilla Media. Um, but it was basically how an entrepreneur can market their business without any money. All right. I, what, was the, what was the name of this business? Uh, it was called Intro Agent. Intro uh, Agent. Intro terrible Agent. name. Terrible name. So <laughs> the idea was that I would play like an agent, a middleman, and I would introduce you to the box business. I had a very cool box logo, which looks exactly like box.com. Okay. Uh, so I should probably sue them for taking my logo. We're <laughs> out of business, so they can have it. Um, All right. But yeah, so it was not a good name. It said nothing about boxes. It wasn't interesting. Um, I really wanted to call it e-box, but legally I couldn't figure that out. Uh, um, I see. And so you were going to, you, you were going to be the middleman. So if I had, if I had, uh, if I was making coffee tumblers or whatever, and I needed to ship them, I would go to intro agent and you would provide me with the packaging. Is that? Yeah, it was essentially a marketplace. So yes, is the quick answer. Uh, but the behind the scenes was there'd be 10 box companies bidding for your business to get you the best price. Oh, so I see. you would say, oh, I, I need a hundred five by five boxes because that's what I need for my tumblers and I want my branding on it. And you would be able to put together your like specs of what you wanted. And then these guys would all bid to get your business. And I, I see you had a percentage. I got you. All right. All right. Well, it sounds like a pretty good idea. How come it didn't work? I one, it was, it was me. It was just me figuring it out. And I knew the box business from a year of doing sales. Uh, okay. So I didn't really, I didn't know it. Uh, and it was a, at that point, a very traditional business. Like every deal was handshakes. This, I was sort of like this little annoying disruptive kid that was potentially going to kill their margins, mm -hmm. uh, which I didn't think about that part of it. Uh, the customers like you that would buy the boxes were really into it. Um, but my, my fatal flaw in that business was I did not protect a workaround. And what I mean is that People would say, I want hundred boxes. They would come onto our site, they would get this great price. And then they would go back to their original supplier and say, match this price. Mm. So mm. we were being gotcha. used to drive down pricing and not mm. getting the deal. Mm. Um, mm. And, and there, oh. were, there were ways we could have fixed it. Um, I, I did go out and raise money um, from friends and family. And then a couple of the big box guys came together and started a competitor. I see. And at that moment, right. I looked at it and I said, you know what, we're going to have to raise $10 million yeah. to, to compete. And I had to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I really don't care about the box industry. Like, I don't want this to be my, the way yeah. I spend my days. Okay. Um, and I think if there was a path that we could have turned it into something, um, I would have taken it. Uh, but I really went down with the ship. I mean, I went, I went 60 grand in debt, credit card debt. Uh, trying to make it work. And we just hit a moment where it was like, I couldn't pay the rent. I owed, I had, I had a Yankee, a New York Yankees visa card that I got at the stadium because I wanted a free backpack. And I ran that, <laughs> I ran 60 grand of debt on that thing. 
I was getting these awful calls, you know, you owe this, you owe that. And I had no path forward. And you had borrowed, and you had borrowed a little bit of money from friends and family too. And plus you were, you were were having to go to Thanksgiving dinner and look at the, look look at them in the face and go, yeah, I don't know when I'm going to get your money back. (laughs) Yeah. The good news was, uh, one was like a no strings attached. Uh, My grandmother basically said, Hey, when I die, I'm going to leave you some money. I'd rather give that to you now and see what you can do with it. All right. Which is really cool. It wasn't, it wasn't a ton of money, but it was very, very amazing. And then I had two outside investors uh, that came in and what was kind of cool is, you know, I I fought hard. I'm I'm kind of glossing over this, Uh, but both of them, when I kind of said, Hey, I don't think we should go forward. Mm -hmm. um, Their reaction was we would invest in you in a second. Again, again. you know, that's great. Hey, that's great. And you know, what a learning experience. I mean, you probably learned more in those two or three years than you did doing anything else, right? Your previous yeah. jobs, college, whatever. I mean, that that experience taught you all kinds of stuff to be able to move forward, right? Yeah, it was I mean, it was awesome. And looking back on it at the time, it was horrible. Uh, <laughs> so I would say any entrepreneurs out there that like are going through a rough patch, like it's hard to pick your head up and go, wow, I'm learning a lot when you feel like you're failing, uh, but, but you are, and, and you everything are. from, I spent a fortune, for me, it was a fortune to build out this website, man, it could do everything I ever thought of, but like, I should have spent that time getting customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you weren't, ma- no, you weren't married or you didn't have any kids or anything at this time, did you? No, okay. no, I was real. I was young. I mean, I was, I was okay. 24, 25. Uh, right. So I, I could take the risk also, um, which was good, but it took yeah. me, it took me several years to climb out of, the whole of, of that debt uh, and, and get my confidence back to be very honest. Like I was, I thought I had failed uh, the mm. investors myself, you know, was it a bad idea? I still thought it was a good idea. Like maybe I didn't have the chops to figure it out, but to your point, like it was, it was like an MBA uh, oh, no doubt. in the no, real world. No, no doubt about it. So then you, so then you're going through all this emotionally and financially, and then you go get a regular job, right? You had to go get just. You had to go be an employee. That's awful. <laughs> I old school. I went to the New York Times one ads, red pen, sat in the park, went down, and basically looked at any job that I thought I could get in the next couple of weeks because I I couldn't pay for laundry. I couldn't. Pay, I had nothing, uh, and a huge hole to get out of. And I, I took a job at a company that uh, makes the banners outside of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. So there, when you walk into the, the okay, okay. museum, there are these giant, like hand sewn banners. They're beautiful. They're works of art on their own. Uh, and there's a little company on the west side of Manhattan that did those as well as a lot of museums around the world. And they were trying to grow their business and modernize it. And I basically went in and said, hey, I know I understand the internet. I know how to do sales. I can write. Give me a job. <laughs> Boom. You got you got the job. Now was this was this uh was this Zoom Media or this was before that? It was before that. Um, oh, okay. okay. So that that was sort of my like savior job where I was okay. able to, gotcha. to to stay alive. Uh yeah. and then and then basically where Zoom Media comes in, which is I, I would say is my second entrepreneurial moment. Okay. Um I interviewed my my investors, so this is interesting, uh for any entrepreneurs out there. My investors in the first business. Uh, I told them that I wanted to go to business school because I didn't okay. know what I wanted to do. And I was like, Hey, I'm going to go to business school. Will you write me a recommendation. And they don't know each other. And the two of them both said to me, you're out of your mind. 
you already learned it all. What you need to do is go find a business where you can be the right hand person to a really dynamic CEO. Great advice. And, and go and learn everything you can from that person and then go start something again. Great advice. Great advice. Okay. Uh, All right. Very it good. It's awesome. I, I randomly, a recruiter called me about this job at Zoom Media, uh, which I, I love deeply. But at the time, all Zoom Media did was sell ads in bar bathrooms. Oh, uh, <laughs> the, that was, the, that one, was the one you're looking at at the wall where you're standing there? That, those? Right, right over the urinal. <laughs> so you can imagine the phone call to my lawyer parents. Great news. <laughs> I just took a new job. It's selling ads in bar bathrooms. Uh, it was that was an uncomfortable Thanksgiving. <laughs> but but in all sincerity, the reason I took it was the CEO and the president were both really dynamic founders. Okay. Uh, and small business like superstars, right? They had both started different businesses. They'd grown them. They'd sold them, and they had this vision that uh, the business that sort of one-to-one -one captive audience where you're standing mm -hmm. at a urinal and staring at an mm -hmm. ad, mm -hmm. that that translated to other places as well. And okay. they were starting to look at the fitness industry. So in gyms, uh, on treadmills, things like that. So I, I saw A, that there was growth potential, but really I took the job because I thought I would learn so much from the president of the company who I would report to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was just a great, small business leader and sales mentor. And I basically went and just gobbled up everything he could give me, every book awesome. he would recommend. And he, and he was a tough boss, man. I'm well, tough. And, uh, <laughs> but I looked at it as, a, as like a sponge. Like, and, and I told him in the interview, that I was like, look, I want to learn everything I can from you. And then I'm going to go start my own business. Oh, you and, told him that early on. Uh, and to his credit, I'll never, I'll never forget this. He said, okay. I will teach you everything I know, but I also hope that I can make this job interesting enough that you don't leave. Oh, all right. Wow. And we'll see how it goes. Let's we'll go. I'll goes. Either right. way, I'll teach you everything I can. And he stuck by that, you know, for uh, like Christmas and stuff, he would get me like a subscription to the Harvard Business Review and Man, make me read that's... it and like tell him stuff that I thought about it or talk about it. Uh, so he really inspired this, like, go learn more, point me in different directions. Uh, and meanwhile, I, was, awesome. I did very awesome. well uh, delivering for that company. I ended up staying there for 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. Now, I, when you told me what, what you were selling, my, my first reaction or my first thought was, well, that'd be cool. Every time I'm trying to close a contract, I'm doing it at the bar, having a drink with the owner of the bar. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't a bad deal for, uh, and the other side of it is we're selling it to advertisers, right? So we're working with uh, uh -huh. Anheuser-Busch. We're working with all these, uh, you know, big ad, yeah. ad people, cool. which is, you know, young agency people in the city. It was like a perfect job for like late 20s, guy. early 30s guy in yep. New York. Yeah, it no was doubt. a lot of fun. No doubt. Okay, very good. Great. You had a great mentor, learned a ton. But the whole time, that entrepreneurial bug is kind of down there, eating away, and you're thinking about stuff. All right. So tell us, uh, yeah, tell us how you walked away from that and how you came up with Venture Fuel. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I, it, we, we really built up that business. It was, it was doing really, really well. Um, and I was running the sales force uh, and, and a few other, the marketing side of things as well. Uh, and I had a trip out to the Pacific Northwest. And it was, it was unbelievable, the meetings. It was Nike, never forget, Nike, T-Mobile, Microsoft, Adidas, 
and Starbucks nice. in like, in like 48 hour window. Nice. Uh, and each one of those meetings, the phrase came up, what's next? And at first I was really frustrated because I was trying to sell them something either that they had already bought from me or that was our like go-to product. And they said, eh, what's next? Like, we've already seen this from you. What's the next iteration of it? Is there a new technology or a new way to connect with our consumers? I was really angry. Uh, but I went to San Francisco after that. And on the flight there, I was just thinking to myself, I was like, man, those are five of the biggest advertisers in the world, biggest companies in the world. And they all have the same problem. They're trying to figure out what's new and different. Mm. And there's something there. There's a pain point that if I could figure out how to solve it, so I was just churning it over in my mind. Mm -hmm. I had dinner with a guy that went to my high school in Alabama. I knew him a little bit. I knew his older brother was a little younger than I was. So I, I, I knew his brother better than him, but I agreed to have dinner. Um, and he had a startup out of Silicon Valley and it was really interesting. And he spent the whole dinner telling me how he couldn't get a meeting with Nike, Starbucks, like the same people I just met with. Okay. And I was like, man, here is what's next. It's new and different. It's exactly what these huge companies want, but they have no way to connect with each other. And this entrepreneur, man, he would kill to get in front of those people. Maybe I could be the bridge uh, okay. Okay. In between large companies and startups. And, and that's, that's what venture fuel does. I mean, the way we describe it is we futurize existing businesses uh, by tapping into startups and emerging technology. Um, but that was the founder moment. The aha moment was like, Big companies want these new different companies and the new different companies can't get in front of the decision makers of the big companies. Let's, let's bridge, bridge that world and make it happen. And how do you make, what's the business model there? How do you make money off of being that, that connector? Interesting. It, it's evolved. Uh, originally my thought was that we would get paid by the startup. We would be like a uh, business development or a sales rep firm. Uh, we'd find cool startups and then we'd go out to all my connections uh, and make deals happen. And we'd take a percentage of the deal, a little okay. bit of equity. Okay. And that worked so, really well. We did so that for not, three years. So not necessarily. Oh, okay. So that worked right away. Okay. It worked right away. And I, I can take you back through it, but then we pivoted uh, and it's working 50 times better now where we've switched the model. We get paid by the large companies. We are basically a consultancy or an advisory to Pepsi, Nike, Anheuser-Busch, where they come to us with their business problems, something they're okay. trying to solve for, and okay. we'll go find the startups that can solve it. Wow, so all right, let me take a deep breath there for a second. So if, um, yeah, so if I'm, if I'm I don't know, uh, Nike, uh, and I have a particular pain point, but I don't have, I don't have a project team working on it in-house or I don't have the people to work on it or everybody's super busy. I can't peel off a side team to do this. I don't want to hire a bunch of consultants to do it either, especially if there's a startup out there that's already got it figured out. We'll just either buy that startup or buy their technology or something. Hey, Fred, go find the, those guys for us. Is that, is that? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not always acquiring the startup, right? A lot, most of the time it's actually partnering with them. I so uh, like a, a, a good example would be, um, man, there's a lot of good examples. Uh, if, if you're a Nike and you're like, you know what, like I need to figure out how I can reach 
uh, shoe buyers watching the World Cup, right? Because they want okay. the soccer players that are watching the World Cup, but okay. they can't be the official sponsor of the World Cup because Adidas is already the official sponsor. Okay. Okay. They can't put ads on TV because Adidas has bought it all up around the World Cup. So they have to get really creative with ways to find people that are actually watching the games. Uh, mm. And so we're, we're able to go find a technology that, uh, without going too deep into any of it, knew what, what you were watching uh, through your mobile device. So it would know that you're watching the USA World Cup game. And then when you went to Facebook or you went to ESPN or wherever, the next ad that popped up was a Nike ad. I see. And so they, they knew... They knew they wanted something, but the existing channels with, with which they market uh, were not solving that problem. So we can go find a new startup. A, a better example is California milk. Okay. So the California milk industry is basically all the dairy farmers uh, in California. All right. And they go, hey, we need, milk needs to innovate, right? There's all these like oat milks and there's all this stuff. Almond happening. milks and yeah, all the, yeah, yeah. But like, dairy milk, like, right, there's regular skim and chocolate for the most part. And that's because these guys are, they're farmers, right? They're focused on delivering really healthy products, taking care of the animals. Uh, so we ran a competition for them to find new dairy startups. So the product had to be 50% plus actual cow's milk. Uh, but after that, entrepreneurs could come up with new ideas, new mixtures, uh, new things. And basically the large California Milk was able to come in and sort of turbocharge innovation for their industry. I see. I see. Okay. All right. Very good. So you get paid. So Nike pays you, and the, but the startup guys don't pay. You don't, you don't get income from them. I see. No, we, we decided to walk away from the startup side of it because well. we have to be unbiased. When, when, we, it, when Pepsi asks us to do something – I can't just recommend a company that I'm taking a cut of or a percentage uh, of. I see. So, I see. so we, we work 100% now for the large, large corporation. Yeah. But why can't you do both? Why can't you say, Hey, a startup, I also want 10% of your company to connect you over here. You can't do that. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there are certainly people that do, uh, that, that try and get the bread buttered on both sides. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's probably scenarios uh, that, that we could, but for now we, we really wanted to be very pure. And also I didn't want, kind of felt like my hand was in the pocket of the startup founder and it's so hard to start a company. Like I don't need to be taking their cash. Yeah. That's a great, yeah. Great point. Great point. So you took, you took this idea of, wow, I, the, somebody needs to fill this gap and be the connector and then you tied that to the relationships and the networking that you had already built up, some of those people in your Rolodex that you could call, right? Um, and then you started it by yourself. Did you just, did you just, how'd you come up with the name Venture Fuel? And did you start by yourself? Just, was it just you? Walk us through yeah. some of that early stuff. Yeah, no, I, I remember uh, sitting in a hotel in uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, and I just sat there drafting up names. And I knew I wanted it to be tied into startups. I didn't like the word startup. I thought it sounded too early and too risky. Okay. And I knew there was the venture capital angle. So I was like, ventures is better than startup. Uh, and then the fuel part came from the whole thing here is to accelerate growth. I see. How can we grow both the existing business and the startup fast? And I was like, if, this, if we make the right match, it's like fuel. It's like rocket fuel to take them and, up. So we put the two together. 
when you looked up venture fuel on GoDaddy, were you surprised that that was available? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, we did a lot. I can't remember. There was something else that I wanted to call it at the time that now it's totally escaped me, but we couldn't. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh. I went and saw that the domain was taken. Uh, venture fuel was not taken. It was not, uh, you know, nobody else was, was calling themselves that at the time. Uh, so I incorporated it on January 1st, 2014. And then I gave my, my notice to zoom, uh, a couple weeks later. Uh, and I gave them a long notice cause I'd been there for a long time. I wanted to make sure I transitioned that nicely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm 100% owner of the company. I started it myself. I bankrolled it. Um, and, and still to this day, it's totally bootstrapped by me. Totally bootstrapped. Don't owe anybody. No, no debt. Don't, didn't have to take on any cash. Haven't, you haven't given up any equity. Awesome. Awesome. When you, when you walked away from Zoom Media, uh, did, you, did you have that first contract in hand on the other side? Or was there like a six-month gap or a 12-month gap? Or walk us through that. Yeah. Was, no, I wish I had done that. That would have been really <laughs> slick and smart and the way to do it. Uh, instead, I just I knew I needed to do something bold and different. And I really wanted to start a company. And I thought there was something special in this idea. Uh, so I jumped uh, without a Without how long did you go? How how long did you go before you could pay yourself? How long was that? Do you remember? Hmm. I guess it depends how you define pay yourself. Uh, <laughs> every once in a while, I would take some money out to cover <laughs> rent. Right? Uh, we did not. We were not profitable the first two years. The first two years. Oof. But we we were not. I took a salary after year one. Okay. So I had a six month runway. Um, Okay. That I built up that I knew I could, I had six months of sort of my living expenses without dipping into anything. Uh, were you married? Were you married with kids? Single, single at that time. Okay. Uh, All right. I made it six months. I had a deal right at the six month mark. I got like a one, my first, like your first video. contract, your first contract. Yes. I got my first. Did, <laughs> that was great. It was the greatest moment ever, but it didn't pay me. For another couple months so right. i dip into savings waiting for that check to come in but man i will say there is there is few better moments than getting your first check for your company no doubt bro I walk, man i walked down to the bank like i was you know the, the i was michael jordan i was i was flying man <laughs> I, think, I think the first check was 10 grand but it felt like that's millions. that's that's so interesting. You said ten grand because that was our Rider Flex. Our very first check was ten grand, and that's what we used to actually open up the bank account. Like we didn't even, like we just my partner and uh, Scott and I. We went down to the bank and we're like, "Hey, uh, we have a business, but we don't have a checking account. Here's here's our first check." And in fact, the lady that opened the checking account for us, we're standing there holding the check, and I still have that picture where we're like, "Oh, cool, <laughs> yeah, you're that's right." Awesome. That moment, yeah, that moment where you get the first contract well first of all getting the first contract signed is is such a, a special moment and then when you actually put money in the bank the very first time yeah it's a it's a special feeling wow so you had that you had that six month window okay and then but then you were off and running then you started getting contracts pretty regularly yeah it, it got pretty good at that point uh i started hiring people uh that, that's been a challenge over the years right <laughs> right I think you learn it's, I was very good at hiring people at Zoom. Uh, it was actually something I thought I was great at, uh, to be honest. And I think what was 
harder about my own company hiring people is I expect everyone to be as obsessed with this idea and business as I am. They never will, bro. I, that's the very and, first thing. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I, I've had so many mentors tell me like, look, you're going to want your employees to be as passionate as you. They just won't be. It's just really not possible. Sorry. I cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, it's yeah, great. Yeah, and yeah. I, I've had some amazing people that work for me and I, you know, yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, there is an obsession. I think if you're a good founder, it's all you think about. Yep. Uh, and, and, and I know yep. I certainly like my wife, now always jokes that no matter what the subject is, I can somehow bring it back to venture fuel. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's the way my head works. But I, I think, you know, as we started getting deals in, I started reinvesting that in the business in terms of people, mm -hmm. infrastructure and growing it out, which, which was definitely the, the right move. Um, but it, it took a couple of years to, to get it to where I had that balance, right. Of mm -hmm. uh, employees, revenue, sales, ab ability to deliver, um, and, and now, you know, we've really, we've got it down to where it's, uh, it's something where we, we've always been able to deliver really well uh, for our clients. Good. Uh, so that, that was always my focus was as long as our clients yes. are happy, yes. things will be okay. Yeah, um, because you're, you're going to get referrals, you're, you're going to get all kinds of stuff. It'll organi organically grow from, from your execution. Yep. Yeah. But I mean, I've spent a fortune trying every marketing angle you can think of to get yeah. new business and the truth is most of it comes from referrals same for our business here at riderflex you know I, I think when you're in the when you're in the quote service business uh, yeah. you know it really is about executing uh really well building relationships getting referrals things like that i mean you can spend a ton of money on pay-per-click and google and all that if you really want to but uh, it's risky. So yeah, I agree. So that's how the business has grown. And so now you've had it open for what, six years? Yep. Congratulations. Didn't have, you had, never had to take on any cash. Your, your positive cash flow. You've had the business for six years. You're 100% owner. Congrats. Congrats. Thank Good you. for you, Thank man. You. Good for you. By the way, it's venturefuel.net, venturefuel.net for everybody that, that that's listening. Congratulations. Let me ask you this as we, as we uh, get close to wrap up here, a couple of wrap up questions for the listener that, you know, is, is hearing you on this episode and they also want to start something and they're working somewhere like zoom media and they're thinking about taking the leap, but they haven't done it yet. Do you have a couple of pieces of advice for them? Yeah, I'll give you the piece of advice my stepfather gave me when I was thinking about doing this. He goes, you will never regret taking a chance. Mm. You may regret how it comes out, and you'll definitely regret it if you don't do it. Um, but if you've gotten yourself in a situation where you have a little bit of a buffer, uh, and, and I had really strict rules on myself. I said, six months, I have that much cash to live my life without changing anything. Mm -hmm. And I'm, instead of putting that in the stock market, which is the responsible move, right? Is to put it in a 401k. I'm going to bet on myself rather than betting on Disney or whatever stock I would have bought. Um, but if it's six months, I don't have a contract. This is, I'm not going to be mad at myself, but I'm going to go get a job. Yep. Uh, because I'd, I'd been down the road of going into credit card debt and all that stuff. And it just wasn't there. And so if you have an idea that you're passionate about and that's it, you've got to have the passion for it. You can't be like, Oh, I've got an idea and I'm going to make a lot of money. Like that can't be the driver. It has to be something you really believe in 
uh, it can be opportunistic, but it, it needs to be something that energizes you because uh, no matter how good the idea is, it's going to get real bumpy uh, and there are going to be <laughs> yeah. days you don't want to do it. And you've got to have that sort of inner fire for it. So I would say try and build yourself a cushion, but you miss every shot you don't take. So jump. Go for it. Yep. And, and make sure you're passionately tied to it. One of the things I really respect about your story, which I think is really cool, and just a reminder for the listeners, remember, Fred tried something before and went into massive debt and you know, also spent money from friends and family. It failed, had to go get a regular job, boom, tried it again. Uh, a lot of people, you know, once they miss, miss the mark the first time, they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to take that risk again. But you stepped out and did it again, which takes guts. So good for you. Um, if you had to call the young athlete coming out of Trinity College when you were 21 and tell him anything, what would you tell him? Try it all. Get as many jobs that you think are interesting as you can. If you're still at Trinity, man, intern all the time. There you go. Yeah. Just, man, get everything you can. Uh, go do six weeks at ESPN. Go do six weeks at the Hartford Current. Do six weeks at whatever other businesses are around there, right? Uh, or whatever school you're in, wherever it is. Just go try different things because, A, those businesses need help, right? Everyone can use an intern. Yes. Uh, so you're going to get a warm welcome by even just going to them and saying, hey, can I help you in some way? But get inside the door. See what it's like man, I didn't even know what advertising was. I thought it was like some dude sitting in the basement writing jingles for like radio. I, I, <laughs> I wasn't exposed to it till I was almost 30. Uh, and then, man, I loved it. Like, it was just like, it, it was almost like playing basketball again. It awoken something in me or whatever the word is there. Uh, it, but I think you, you got to kind of, you got to find something that gets you excited that you feel mm -hmm. passionate about. Mm -hmm. And then once you find that, go after it hard, make it your thing. Um, I love that. You, you know, discover it. you got to discover it. And I, and you're right about the internships. One of the things it'll do for you a lot of, a lot of times young people think I want to be this and then they go intern and they're like, Ooh, actually I don't like that. Totally. <laughs> so, you know, I, I definitely agree. The last question for Fred is if you had to put your core purpose in life, Fred's core purpose, the reason he wakes up every day on this, this spinning ball that we're on, what would that sound like if you pushed that away from a couple of common answers? Like, you know, if I didn't let you say, hey, I want to, you know, my family is my core purpose or, you know, making the world a better place is my core purpose. Let's just set those two aside for a minute and assume that those are kind of in there somewhere already. Aside from that, how would you describe Fred's core purpose in life? I think that I would say it's in between two words, uh, ingenuity and creativity. Uh, and I would say that to me, the thing that makes us human, it makes humans different than every other animal on this planet, is we have this ability to create, mm. to come up with ideas, creative solutions. We don't like X and we can fix that. Uh, you know, whether that's figuring out how to build a home, create, you know, electricity, all the great inventions over time, right, is this, this sort of spirit of I can make the world better in some way. And, and I think my core purpose is like 
that gets me super excited. And I don't have to be the one that is constantly creating those. I like to find other people that are doing it yeah. and then be like, oh man, I can help you get this idea into the world. Uh, and that can be sustainable packaging, right? Like all of a sudden your, your cup that we the Dixie cup you use forever that's made of paper. What if that, you could eat it, you could drink it, it dissolved in the sink. Uh, the Rudderflex no podcast like, features entrepreneurs, business executives, uh, and you know, the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit rudderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes. Friend, I really appreciate you being on the Riderflex podcast and sharing your story. Awesome. Super inspirational. Some great advice for the listeners. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Steve. It was totally my pleasure. I really enjoyed it.